please stand for the reading of the gospel that also serves as our sermon text today from Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called, him to, the, they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is God's word. You may be seated. The Los Angeles Times reports on a woman named Anna Mae Penica who was blind from birth. Uh, for many years uh, she, she did not see and she met her husband in Braille class. Her husband had some sight. Um, but they've been married for 40, over 40 years, and for much of their married life, he served as the eyes for both of them. But soon, his eyesight went away because of disease completely, and so she was really left without any hope to see, uh, even with her loved one now. She never saw color. She never saw depth, never saw height, never saw shape. Uh, she, uh, she depended on her senses to do all of that, until one day... Anna had a special surgery, actually a rare surgery, that a doctor performed on her that um, was a modern miracle through medicine. He performed the surgery on her eyes, and she saw for the first time when they took the bandages off. And you can imagine what she saw for the first time. She said, I always knew, and I could recognize the face of my husband, I could recognize the face of my loved ones, but some people, like acquaintances, some of them were taller than I thought, some of them were shorter, some of them, they were, uh, they looked different than I expected them to look in my imagination, and, and she said, and the world was much bigger. It was bigger and brighter than she ever expected as well. Can you imagine that? Never seeing for your whole life, and then for the first time, seeing, like after 60 years of not seeing. Amazing, incredible. In today's story that you just heard um, from Mark, you, you, you meet a man and you say, this miracle is amazing. This thing that Jesus did over 2,000 years ago before ophthalmologists and lasers and modern medicine that God has given us, and Jesus did it in one moment and immediately she saw again and her whole world, his whole world was opened up like Anna's world. To the, to, the, to, to the sights and sounds, to, to maybe the face of his father Timaeus for the first time, seeing these family faces. And he, he, he must have just worshipped out of this great miracle that Jesus did in his life. Um, but, but the real thing that we could miss in this story is not just that he received his sight and the awesome miracle that words can't describe um, that Jesus of Nazareth made in his life, but actually the real miracle happened long before he received his sight, and we're going to learn about that miracle that's true for you and me because we have an open audience today. Some of you are blind. If you're listening over the airwaves or you're listening in person, some of you have handicaps. Some of you don't. And yet the, the awesome part about the story is that we all have to become like Bartimaeus. What did he have? 
What did he have that I want in my life? He had a faith that was founded on something bigger than just getting eyesight. And it's something that's accessible to you and me, whether we are sighted or whether we are blind or whether we are disabled or where we've been and what we've done in our life before this. It's something that's accessible to all of us. And so today we're going to learn, how can I have what Bartimaeus has? Because obviously he had something that changed his life, not just gave him sight, but we're going to look at his reaction to this and how it carried him on through the rest of his life as he followed Jesus. Do you want that in your life? You have it. And I'm going to tell you how you have it. First of all, we're going to go in two areas when we look at this story. The first area is that to have a faith that stops God in his tracks, like Bartimaeus' faith stopped Jesus in his tracks, we have a faith that cries out amid suffering, number one. That's the first place that we're going to go. And then number two, it it rests in the work of the healer, okay? So a faith that stops God in his tracks, cries out for mercy amid suffering, and rests in the work of the healer. The first thing is a faith that cries out for mercy amid suffering. We see this in Bartimaeus' condition and his circumstances. His condition is obvious. He's blind. He's never seen color. He's never seen shapes. He's relied on people's description of things. He, um, uh, his hands, his touch, his ears, his nose, his senses, his other senses besides his sight, they are his eyes. Have you ever known somebody or know somebody that's blind? You know that they are completely reliant on all of these other senses, and this is what he's relying on too. Now, there's some advantages to that, and I always say that I'd rather be take a polygraph by a sighted person than have a blind person interrogate me because they are actually more perceptive than the sighted person. I believe the same is true for Bartimaeus. He's more perceptive than sighted people because he knows his limitations. He knows his handicap, and, he is, and he's reliant on his other, his other facilities, I'm going to say, his other faculties that he, can, uh, that he uses to, to feel and to reach out, and he thinks about things. I know blind people that think about things, and they record my words in their mind, and they talk them back to me later, and I say, I can't believe you remembered that. I, I didn't say that, did I? And they say, yeah, you did. They have to rely on their memory. They have to rely on the word that goes out to them. It's their lifeline. And, but the thing is, is that for blind people, their, their perception is their advantage, but they're also extremely vulnerable, and this is his condition. He's vulnerable. Who's to stop, I'm going to say, somebody from running, a thief running away from a blind person? A blind person can't run after them. Um, who's to stop somebody that comes into a blind person's home and takes advantage of them, maybe takes their things, uh, maybe, maybe you know, you hire, if you're, if you're a blind person, you hire somebody to do work, how are you to know that they're doing the work that you hired them to do on your house and that they did it right? I mean, it's very easy to be taken advantage of as a blind person. Now, rewind the tape. Well, in education, can a blind person make as much money as a person that has sight today? Are there many educational opportunities for them today? Perhaps there are more than back then, but you rewind the tape 2,018 years ago, And here you have Bartimaeus with no social support, with no way to make money, with no, um, I'm going to say these are his circumstances, his condition leads to his circumstances, with a full dependence on his family. If his family wants to help him, that's that's really his only help that he can get. And very often, if, if Bartimaeus is anything like me, I don't like taking charity from family, and so I'm going to go out, and this was his last option, to sit on the side of the road and beg, to put his cloak out and just ask for money in this bustling town, Jericho, very busy city, where people would be coming in and out on a highway. 
and to cry out for help from other people. That's, that's the life of a beggar. You don't have education like you have today. You don't have the social structure, or you don't have um, ride shares or anything else. You depended on your friends and family if they even had the time to help you. To get to the faith that Bartimaeus has, and for you and I to, to understand it, you have to understand how utterly helpless he is in this story. And it becomes brutal when you look at the circumstances in the story. Not just his blindness, but did you hear this? Jesus is coming out of the city in verse 46, and he's surrounded by a large crowd. Do you like large crowds? I don't. I've been in them before, and they're not fun, even as a tall person, like uh, somebody that can see over the crowd. I I don't like the busyness of a crowd, and maybe as we age, we don't like crowds even more because uh, there's the risk of falling. There's, the, there's the, the chaos of communication. I can't hear, you know, I was in a busy, re, uh, I was in a busy restaurant, and, and I used to be able to talk over the noise, but now I'm just annoyed by the noise in a busy restaurant. I don't know about you, but crowds. Now think about yourself as a blind person. Crowds are terrifying. A blind person doesn't just say, I'm going to walk into a crowd. Why? Because they can't see. They can trip over things very easily. The, the, the ears that they depend on for, to, to perceive things, they're getting a lot of different communication, and their eyes can't help them out in anything in the crowd. And here Jesus comes, these circumstances, in a large crowd, people trying to get at the teacher, get at the teacher, touch him, be close to him, have a conversation, get a word in edgewise with him. And here's a blind person not going to get near that crowd. And so he stays where he's at, and this is the other circumstance. He's sitting. Notice this. He's out of line, out of sight from Jesus. Uh, Jesus is up here. He's blind. He's sitting by the side of the road. There's no chance of him um, getting eye contact with Jesus. Just before this, in, in another gospel, Jesus is passing through the same town, Jericho, and there's a man that wants to see Jesus. Do you know his name? He was, he was vertically challenged. Same town, same highway. You know who I'm talking about? Say it. Zacchaeus. Now, what could Zacchaeus do that this blind man can't do? (laughs) He climbs up in the tree, right? And he gets a view of Jesus, and of course, you'd be like, oh, there's a man in a tree over there. Jesus says, I can, come down, I'm going to go to your house. Some, Some commentators say that that story happened soon before this story, which is interesting to note, because why? Perhaps this blind beggar had heard about this man that climbed up in the tree just across the street from him, same highway, same place, but he can't climb a tree. He's desperate, and there's absolutely no advantage. And the last one, and this is the most brutal and excruciating when you read this, he cries out, help me, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And what are his friends doing? Shut up, be quiet. The teacher, he doesn't want to talk to you. No, so not only does he have these disadvantages, but he's actively being discriminated against by the only, the only people that could probably help him out. They said, be quiet. They rebuked him. Strong Greek word for pushing back, like the disciples pushed back at those little children that wanted to get to Jesus and said, no, the teacher doesn't want to see you. So now you have somebody that's sidelined, and that's the word I want you to remember. He's sidelined, and he has no natural access to the teacher, and yet, listen to this, he cries out twice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, verse 47. And then again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Circle, underline, son of David, because we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But this is important. When life is that desperate, when we've been sidelined by our condition, by our circumstances, I'm going to say this, 
by what we have done that's wrong and we haven't done that God told us to do. When we first realize that we have no access to God by ourselves, that is a faith that cries out for help. And so when this man who's sidelined because of his condition, hears that the solution is so close. It's like five feet, ten feet away. How can you not cry out for mercy? How can you not just push those friends aside and say, no, 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 I'm going to cry out to him because he's my last lifeline. I've gone through all of the witch doctors. I've gone through all of the therapy. I've gone through everything that this world has to offer. And I've heard of this Jesus of Nazareth. I've heard of this, this, this son of David. And, and I need to cry out to him. And nothing's going to stop me because I am so desperately broken. That, my friends, is a faith that God gets God's attention. That's a faith that cries out that's helpless on its own. And it's one that you see in Bartimaeus, and it's one that you and I, when we get it, you see this? We have to become blind. We have to become Bartimaeus to get this. We have to become weak to get our strength and to get that crying out. You have a God that stops in his tracks. And he says, now I can do something with you because you can't do anything with yourself. It's amazing. Jesus hears it over all of the other noise and all of the other clatter in this this busy crowd. Verse 49, beautiful words. We went right over them before, but listen to these words. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. God stopped amid all of his busyness because he heard a cry for mercy, and he calls him. Don't underestimate that either. Remember I said that crowds are a, a scary thing for a blind person? This blind person, Bartimaeus, would never go running into that crowd, but what does Jesus do? Your Savior, your King, he opens up space. And these friends of his that were just rebuking him, they say, hey, Barty, it's your lucky day. Like, Jesus is calling you. Can can you believe that? And now, the other gospel says that Jesus called for him. That means that Jesus escorted this person who had been sidelined into the crowd, into the crowd. Remember that one woman who was bleeding a whole lot? She could just barely get up to Jesus and touch the edge of his cloak. Jesus gave an open highway for this Bartimaeus to come to him and give space, allows permission for him to come forward without any fear of what? Retribution? No fear of retribution and no fear of falling. That's important. You have a Savior who gives you access when you cry out to him for mercy, not to be afraid of being, rebu- of, of being rejected or rebuked, but to come forward and to have access to him. So there's no more rebuking. Jesus' invitation creates space for the disenfranchised, for the sinner. And he creates a way for the sideline to approach him. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. Yeah, those are kind of interesting. Earlier in this chapter, James and John came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, we want important spots in your kingdom. And Jesus says, no, 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 I can't. That's not for me to give to you. But now a faith later on that's crying out for mercy, Jesus gives an answer that says, I can do this for you and I will do this for you because my kingdom is not about important places. It's about my rescue in your life. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Jesus said, go. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, another word you can circle we'll talk about in a minute, He received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I can't tell you about the awesomeness of this miracle and how many words you could use to describe it. Again, it happened long before doctors and lasers and surgery, and Jesus proved himself for who he really is. 
Only a God that creates eyesight, one of the most complex organs in the body, is a God that can in one moment immediately, just like that, give eyesight back. I went to an uh, uh, ophthalmologist recently just to get something checked out in my eyes. It's not like life-threatening or anything, but it's annoying. And, 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 they, and they did all these tests, and they ran all the tests, and I said, well, can you do anything about it? And they said, well, no, that's just natural. You're just getting old. I said, thanks. <laughs> and then they said, and I said, well, is there anything like in the future that maybe medicine could do? And, and she said, well, to tell you the truth, we're about 10 years away from helping you with what you got. Modern medicine hasn't even caught up to what Jesus of Nazareth has done right here in this man's life. There's no more 10 years from now because when you have God in your life, you have instant healing. But let me tell you that the instant healing that he received, that wasn't even the biggest miracle that happened in this account. Not at all. I believe this is an awesome moment. That moment when Anna Penica, I told you about, opened her eyes and she probably saw her doctor. Maybe for the first time that was taking the bandages off. Imagine, imagine never seeing before. Close your eyes. And then you hear these words, go, you're well. And you open your eyes, open them, and the first thing that you see is the face of your Savior. The face of God. Do you want that? To see the face of God in your life? Yes or no? You do. But where it comes from is in the heart of faith. It's not that this man's faith made him well, like he was good and cleaned up. It was that he was broken and he called out for mercy. And when you call out for mercy, Jesus says, I'm here immediately, like right in front of your face. Nothing can take me away from you because I gave my life for you because I died for you and I rose again. And if you are a sinner like me sitting in the pew and need that, need that grace and forgiveness in your life and cry out, I'm, <laughs> here's the difference between a blind person and a sighted person. A physically blind person, they know that they're blind and they need help. They know that they're lost and they can get access through people that can help them like doctors. And if you're Bartimaeus, you can get ultimate healing through Jesus. But a sighted person they're strong, and trust me, I've known people in my life. I remember years ago, I helped a man who was very intelligent, very wealthy. He was going through a health problem, and I visited him in the hospital. And I shared with him the gospel there because he was a friend of a friend. And then when he went home and he was recovering, I brought him meals, and I shared with him the gospel. He was a, a, a teacher, a very intelligent person in the school system. And then I took him out to lunch after that. I shared with him the gospel, and you know what he said? Pastor, no offense. I like your friendship, I love your church, everything you guys are doing for me, but I'm not going to believe any of that, that Bible stuff. That Jesus stuff, no, that's not for me. Do you see how sighted he is, how strong he is on his own, that he doesn't need a Savior, even though I know and I could see in his life when he shared life with me that life was broken. You see, the sighted people don't see and the blind people do. I'm not talking about physical blindness and sightedness. I'm talking about spiritual sightedness and blindness. I'm talking about the people like Bartimaeus who couldn't see their whole life. And you know what? Even if he couldn't see with his eyes for the rest of his life, he had a Savior. And here's why I know this, that he has a Savior, because of the words that he uses to talk about Jesus. Do you know what he says? And I told you to circle it before in your mind earlier. He calls him what? Jesus what? Jesus Carpenter's son. Jesus Mary's son. Jesus teacher. None of that. He doesn't say any of that. He says Jesus son of David. What he's saying is Jesus king. Jesus king. 
That's a flag that's going off when Jesus hears that from a heart of faith. Um, in my family, I, there, I, you know, I have lots of names, right? I'm Pastor Dan to many of you, to friends and close friends. I'm Dan, or if you just have a relationship with me, I'm Dan. To my family, if I hear this word, if I hear Danny, hey, Danny. You know, I, got, I heard that around Holy Word when I first came here. You know who I thought you were calling out? I thought you were calling me out, but you, you were calling, you know, Chad's daughter, Danny. That's Danny here. But if I hear Danny, I think about my mother and my sisters and my cousins. My mother, my sisters, and my cousins, they call me Danny. No one else does. Because there's a, a certain relationship there where that name means something in that context. When people would cry out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, they meant to say this. They said, Jesus, you are what all of the prophets, what all of the, the, the Old Testament um, teachers would talk about, Isaiah and uh, Jeremiah and all of these people that talked about the coming king, a kingdom that would reign forever. At some point in this man's life, he had heard about Jesus of Nazareth. And I don't know where he heard about it. Maybe it was Zacchaeus in that conversation that happened before this that he heard, listen to this, he heard and he believed that Jesus was more than just a teacher. He was King Jesus in his life, in his heart. There's this instance where John's disciples, uh, John the Baptist's disciples, came to John when John was imprisoned. Jesus was doing ministry, and John asked them, Hey, go and, go and talk to Jesus. I'm wondering myself, I know I've preached about him many times, whether he's actually the one that was prophesied to be the Messiah, the King Jesus. And so John's disciples said, okay, we'll go check it out. And so they went and they talked to Jesus. And Jesus, you know what he said to John's disciples? He said, go back, report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor, not the rich, to the poor who he came to rescue. So if you're weary and burdened, I'm talking to us today, Jesus says, come to me. You have access. You have access from your idols. You have release from them. You have released from your sin. You have released from your addiction. You have released from, from the things that you know are holding you back from a relationship with God. Come, he says, those who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. I came for you, and I hear you, because when you cry out for suffering, you have a healer in your life. When, if, if you're sick, he says, it's not for the healthy that I've come for, it's for the sick, Mark 2, 17. And if you're a sinner, Luke 5, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners, and then the parable that Jesus tells, I love this parable, and it should be, it's the vision of what the church is, really. It's in Luke chapter 14, and this master, he calls out and he says, uh, I'm going to invite all the A-lister friends. All my A-lister friends are invited to a big party. I'm going to, you know, throw all the best, I'm going to have the best wine, the best food. He makes this huge banquet preparations, and he sends out the invitation to the herald. The herald goes out into the world, and he invites all these important people to the feast. But do you know what the important A-lister people say? I'm too busy. That thing, it's not for me. That's not for me. No thanks. No thanks. No banquet. I, 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 I'm strong. Do you see how strong they are to say, I don't, need, I don't need your banquet? And then the news gets back to the master, and the master says, fine. Go out into the alleys. Go out into the highways. Find the beggars. Find the people who are sick, the lame, the deaf, the people who are not. The people who admit that they have sin. And call them in. 
And then we can have a party. We can have a real party then because they're the ones who have come to save. You can be rich, you can have eyesight, and you can have many blessings from God today, but you've got to become poor again to get this. Poor in spirit, rich in the love of God that gave his life for you. And that's going to change the rest of your life because, number two, this is our last place that we're going today, you can rest finally in the work of the healer, not your own work. Many people say, I, you know, to be in the in crowd with Jesus, you have to be cleaned up morally, or you got to be good, or you got to have money to show that you're successful, that you're righteous before God. <laughs> That's the farthest thing from the truth. Jesus, you know who he came to save, and we just looked at all the Bible verses. And then this is the other word I asked you to circle and underline, the word immediately, immediately, Bartimaeus receives sight. But immediately something else happens, too. Immediately... He receives his sight and followed Jesus. And if you're an English major and you're thinking to yourself, what is this immediately hooked up to? Like, what is, what is its antecedent? Immediately he received sight or immediately he followed Jesus? And the answer is both immediately. A life changed and a life with Jesus that's face-to-face with him, what he's called you to through your baptism and through the word, like this man received the word and believed it, is a call to follow him immediately without hesitation and you're like, well, does that mean I, I got to follow him to be saved? No, he, he's already saved you. That's why you follow immediately. And you know that Bartimaeus followed immediately and with this reckless abandon because of what he does. When he's called by Jesus, verse 50, it says he threw his coat aside, his cloak. That's important because a cloak is not just your jacket. Your cloak is your bed. Your cloak for him was his pockets. Very often, you'd put out your cloak for what? To receive the money that people would throw onto it. And yet, he takes everything, everything that he, perhaps he's saved in his pockets, a little bit that he has, and he takes his cloak. Now, I don't know if he goes back and gets it, but it sure seems like he follows Jesus and he leaves his cloak behind. And so I'm interpreting this way. He throws his cloak aside and he says, I don't need that because what do I have in my life? I have King Jesus in my life. And immediately, he follows him without hesitation, with reckless abandon, And so let me ask you, I know that God has blessed us as one of the richest countries and that we're blessed even to be born in this time in history in this place. But what if, what if it was all taken away? Would you be running back for that cloak or be running to King Jesus who not only gives sight to the blind but actually gives you heaven past this life? What does it mean for my time? How am I using my time? Am I using it for King Jesus? Am I running after him immediately because he's healed me? Or am I thinking more about myself? Am I thinking about more about other people that don't know about King Jesus in my life? Or am I worried about my popularity, my perception that other people have of me at the office, at home, in the family, all these things? Think about that cloak and then think about immediately following Jesus. Not saying that you have to give it all away, but that you give it all to him. Okay? So that's the first thing, that he throws the cloak beside. And the, thing, the second thing is this is that uh, immediately he follows Jesus. And from that moment on, in Luke 18, there's actually the synoptic gospels have this in all three of them. Luke 18, it says, when other people saw that he had been healed, they also praised the Lord. That means the work that was done in his life wasn't private. And so the work that Jesus does in our life, it isn't private. It's something that he wants us to tell others about. So from that moment on, he would go on to follow Jesus. I don't know how long he followed him physically, but he certainly made his life a shining Example, not of himself, but of the one who healed him. Finally, the novelist Robert Louis Stevenson, he tells of this story of a storm that caught this vessel off guard. It was a passenger vessel. 
and uh, the, 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 the ship got taken way off of course, and it was heading towards some rocks, and sure destruction, the whole ship would be destroyed, and the many passengers would lose their lives. One of the passengers who was below, he ran up to the upper deck against orders and ran all the way up to the captain's quarters. Outside of the captain's quarters, he looked into the place where the pilot had his hand on the wheel and steadily and, 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 and strongly was turning that big vessel away from the rock. And the pilot looked down at the observer and the pilot, he smiled at him with a big smile. The observer went back down to his people in the lower area of the ship, and he said this, I have seen the face of the pilot, and he smiled, all is well. You knew everything was going to be okay. Some of us today are sighted, some of us are blind physically, some of us have disabilities, some of us have different stories that, that feel like they're irredeemable, but do you know what? When you encounter Jesus, like Bartimaeus encountered Jesus, you see the face of the pilot, and he smiles at you, and he says, all is well. All is well. All is well with your health, even if your health is tanking, because he's given you eternal health. All is well with your finances, because you have eternal riches with King Jesus, the son of David. All is well with your sin, because it's covered, forgiven, and forgotten. You have access to him. The pilot smiles, all is well, amen.